This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, where he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and it's on the subject of outreach. Now, that's, there are whole teachings that can be done on that subject, but we're focusing on the words of Christ, specifically on the matter. He was sending out his disciples into Jewish lands, into Jewish cities, unto Jewish houses. He had made it clear to them in the, in the verses preceding our teaching tonight that they were not to go into any cities of the Gentiles. They weren't to go into any of the, uh, the neighboring countries or any of those lands, neither unto the Samaritans because the Samaritans were half Gentile, half Hebrew. He was sending them unto, as he said, unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we talked about that quite a bit last week as to why that was the case. It wasn't because he didn't love Gentiles. It was because things needed to be done in a certain order. And whenever he deviated from that order, it was his call to make, and it was usually on a one-on-one basis. There was a, a Gentile that came to Jesus, someone who came to Jesus, not Jesus going to them, but a Gentile that would make their way to Jesus because they had a specific need. And then, of course, Jesus, being compassionate, didn't send anyone away. He never sent anyone away. There's a lesson in that alone. There's a lesson in that right there that you need to remember. When you find yourself caught up in the midst of a, of a sin or in, a midst, in the midst of a bad situation, maybe one that you've created or that you feel some shame in, then and you've got the devil there talking to you, telling you that God won't listen to you, God won't receive your prayers, God won't pay any attention to you, then just remember this right from the Gospels. Jesus never refused anyone. Even the Pharisees. Now he jacked them up, but that's because they had it coming to them. Because they came to him not usually realizing they had a need. They came to him finding fault. They came to him with bad attitudes, wrong attitudes. Uh, They came to him trying to catch him in his words. They came to him disingenuously or deceitfully. And so he reproved them and rebuked them but he never sent them away. He always gave people what they needed. So remember that. Remember that when you find yourself in an hour of need. Don't get to thinking, don't get to believing the lie that Jesus will not receive you. Because a lot of times he'll even receive folks who are angry. And we, read, we talked about that as one of the minor prophets. Habakkuk. Habakkuk was the name of the prophet that... Uh, that uh, went to the Lord sort of uh, more hotly than he should have. But moving on, he says, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. He says, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. 
But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now let's stop right there. We talked about this last week. about, And again, we want to take this and apply this to our own lives, but in the context that Jesus was teaching in, He was teaching His Jewish disciples. Hey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to stand for Me, and it's going to cost you. There's going to be some persecution that's going to come your way. He says, beware of men there in verse 17, for they will deliver you up to the councils. Councils like the Sanhedrin was a governing religious council among the Jews. And that could be a fearful thing. He said they will scourge you in their synagogues. Now obviously you don't have to worry about being scourged in their synagogues because the Jews in America aren't really doing that. (laughs) Praise God for that. There's other people that would like to do that, but the Jews in America really are not, um, they're not so anti-Christian that they're trying to commit violence against us. That would be crazy if they tried to do that. They'd meet with some pretty hot opposition. There's more of us than there are of them. But the lesson is still there and it still applies. As Christians, we may very well face some hot persecution at some point in our lives. Now right now, it's not bad in the U.S., It's not bad in the U.S. Maybe somebody will try to sue you if you don't want to bake a cake for their gay wedding or whatever the case may be. That's just about as bad as it's been getting right now. But that's a whole lot worse than it was 20 years ago, isn't it? So it's not very bad yet, but it's not as good as it was a long time ago. So there's still a lesson in there. It may still cost us something. It might still cost us something dearly to name the name of Christ. And to stand, uh, and to stand on, that, on that claim, on that testimony. But he says here that they're going to do this. They're going to bring you up before governors, kings, and a testimony, or for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. He says, but when they deliver you up, here's the message in it. Take no thought how or what ye shall speak. In other words, don't worry about rehearsing it. Because if you're hauled up before governing bodies and, and authorities and things like that, God will give you the words to say. When they question you and they ask you what it is that you're talking about and what you believe and, and, and all of that, and, uh, and then they level their accusations about you being a bigot or you being intolerant or you being, you name it. I mean, all the names are out there and they've been thrown against us for so many years now that some Christians are finally starting to toughen up and realize that we can't be muffins. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't used that term in a while. Muffins, somebody that can't handle any kind of a hardship. Christians have really started to toughen up in recent years because uh, the accusations have started to get old and threadbare, and we know that they're ridiculous. We know we're not bigots. We know that we're not racists. We know that we're not intolerant. We tolerate things every living day of our life, don't we? All kinds of abominable things that have been mainstreamed or attempted to be mainstreamed into American society. We tolerate it. The fact that we're not the ones burning places to the ground. We're not the ones hauling people off and shooting them in soccer stadiums like they do in other countries. But they call us intolerant. Okay, all right. Well, we know better. We know better. So when, when we're hauled up in front of our bosses or in front of our jackbooted 
human resource departments at our various companies that we work for, and we're called to give an account, or accusations are leveled against us, don't worry about it. God will give you the words to say. He'll give you the words to say, be open, take Jesus' warning to heart, be open to the Holy Spirit when such things come your way, if they come your way. Prayerfully, they won't, but maybe they will. And if they do, well, God's got you covered. So he says they're going to deliver you up. Don't worry about what you're going to say is what he's saying. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So that's something to remember when you find yourself in a situation that's like this. And not just situations like this. It can be any kind of a one-on-one situation. Are you communicating with a group? Are you communicating with a... Perhaps you're... Perhaps you're in the midst of outreach and you're reaching out to people, talking to them about Jesus, or you're talking to a relative, a family member, or a friend. If you'll open your mind and your heart to the Holy Spirit of God, He can give you the words to say. He really can, if you're open to that. If you're open to that. So be mindful of what the Spirit would have you to speak. And if you're not certain what to say, then don't say anything. There's nothing wrong with that either. Jesus, before Pilate, said nothing. Well, excuse me, he said a few things. But Jesus, before other of his accusers, there uh, in his last day, before they led him up to, to Golgotha, he, the Bible says that uh, he was, uh, he, as, a, as a sheep being led to the slaughter, he was dumb. He didn't say anything. What doesn't mean he was stupid. It just meant that he was mute on the matter. He didn't say anything. He didn't open his mouth. And so sometimes that's the right thing to do also. It depends on the situation. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, verse 21, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the parents shall rise up against their and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, okay, what's he talking about there? Jesus brings division. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the verses to come. Not because that's what he's trying to do, but because that's what happens in groups of friends or in companies of persons or in families where one or more people accept Jesus and others don't. A division naturally occurs because there's different spirit at work there, isn't there? You really see that in a mixed marriage where one person's a Christian and the other person in the marriage is not a Christian. Well, there's two spirits at work. God is at work in the Christian's life and the devil is at work in the other person's life or the spirit of this world or whatever the case may be. And so there's a conflict that happens there, not because Jesus is trying to cause it, but because that's just what happens. You get one person, I remember what, I remember what happened in our family. My brother was the first one in our family to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. This was way back in the 1980s. I've talked about it a lot. And, well, what happened? Well, I had ears to hear. Mom and Dad didn't want to hear it. A lot of times Mom and Dad don't want to hear it from someone that they taught how to eat without getting food in their hair. You know what I mean? Not a lot of parents that want to hear life lessons from their children. And understandably so. It's understandable, but there's more to it than that, and it did cause some conflicts. 
It really did. Now, my brother wasn't the wisest either in the way that he communicated some things and probably threw a couple of stones a bit too hard. And, well, mom and dad weren't going to have none of that either. And probably I wouldn't have either. So I'm not really blaming them on that. But there's a natural division that comes when you've got people, some that are saved, some that are not. Some that have received our Lord Jesus and others that have not and don't want anything, uh, don't want anything to do with it. So he says here, the days shall come, or he says that the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. If you're in the heat of persecution, if you're in that furnace, just hold on. Now, I got to speak very carefully on this one because I've endured a fair amount of persecution, but nothing like what these folks endured. Nothing like what the early apostles endured. Nothing like uh, what Jesus' first disciples endured in, in, uh, in, the, in the years following his crucifixion and his ascension to the Father, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father. So I can't really say that I've resisted unto blood. I haven't. Nobody's punched me yet for the gospel's sake. Nobody's really threatened my life yet for the gospel's sake. So I'm not going to speak as too much of an authority. But I have caught some pretty serious heat from people that were very, very close to me. And no, it was not easy to resist. Yes, it would have been a lot easier to just cave on the matter, placate the angry ones, and, uh, and then just go smooth sailing from then on. But then where would I be in my relationship with God? So that's what Jesus is talking about. It doesn't matter if the persecution is physical, if it's violent, or if it's just angry shouting, or, or threats of, you know threats of legal action or threats of losing a spouse or threats of this or threats of that. Persecution's persecution. Some's wor- some is worse, some is not as bad, but it's all persecution. If we fold when we catch heat for the faith, then our faith is small. And then we're men pleasers, aren't we? Instead of pleasers of God. And we were just talking about that on Sunday morning. Was it Sunday morning? I think that came out at some point in the message about we can't be pleasers of men instead of pleasers of God. We ought to please God rather than men. No, it was Sunday night after Reverend Ryder had, had preached and we were closing, a little closing exhortation at the end of the service. We ought to please God rather than men because when we die, and we all die, right? If, even if the rapture happens, we'll, we'll miss death, but we'll be so changed. This life will be over either way. That's the whole point of it. When this life ends, it's not men that we're going to answer to. We won't answer to bosses. We won't answer to the governor. We won't answer to elected officials. We won't answer to President Trump. Blessedly, we'll not answer to President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama. We won't answer to any of these other groups. We won't even answer to pastors, will we? You're not going to stand before me when you die. We stand before God. We all ultimately will answer to the same 
divine authority. And he is infallible. He's completely infallible and his justice is perfect and he knows when to have mercy. So if we have to pick sides, whose side we want to be on the good side of, does that make sense? Who we want, who, on whose good side we want to be, that's the way I'm trying to communicate it. We ought to pick God's. We ought to pick God's. And he says, you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. That's Jesus' warning to his disciples then. And as his disciples now, we can take that same warning to heart. You'll be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. And we talked about that last week. Verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, or a devil, it's a name of one of the devils, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? In other words, if they insulted Jesus, they're going to insult you too. If they insulted Jesus, if they accused him of doing things by the power of the devil, if they, if they uh, leveled accusations against him of blaspheming and things like that, if they hated him, they're going to hate you too. They're going to hate all of us. There are people that will absolutely do that. Why is he warning us of this? Why did he tell his disciples this? Why is he telling us this? So that we're not taken off guard by it. So that we're not ashamed by it. So that we're not surprised by it. Be warned, Jesus says, persecution's coming, but don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. What are you going to be able to do about it anyway? See, this is the thing to remember when the heat's on. This is the thing to remember, okay? They're going to persecute you because you've already named the name of Jesus. They're going to pressure you to renounce Jesus. They're going to make you offers, and then when you resist those, they're going to make threats. Because that's what bullies do. Okay? They're going to make you offers. Then they're going to make threats. And then they're either going to follow through with them or they're not. But if you cave, they're not going to respect you anyway. Because once you claim the name of Christ, you're branded. And that's a good thing. Because there must be no going back. There must be no going back. Fear them not, therefore. That's the very next verse, 26. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye from the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now let's stop right there. So we have these three verses that deal with who we should and who we shouldn't fear. If they're walking around on this earth in a human body, don't be afraid of them. Because the worst they can do is end your life. The worst they can do is persecute the body, destroy the body, kill the body. They can't touch your soul, can they? They can't touch your spirit. 
They can't compel you so much that you have no choice but to give in to their pressures. They don't have that power. The power of men and women ends at the grave. It's, once you're dead, you are beyond their reach. You are forever beyond their reach. What if they resuscitate me? Well, they're not going to resuscitate you if they break your neck. Okay, if they hang you, or if they shoot. This is grisly, but Jesus was talking about this, so we're not going to back away from it, you know. If they burn you alive, they're not going to resuscitate you from that. So you don't have to worry about that. The point is, they can only do so much harm. They can only do so much damage. And their greatest enemy isn't even really pain. It's fear. It's fear. That's their biggest weapon. Did I say enemy? I meant weapon. That's their biggest weapon. It's fear. It's not even so much pain, although pain can be awful, yes. But Jesus endured such pain as none of us have ever endured or ever like to endure, hopefully, be it the will of the Lord. He says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. In other words, God knows everything, and He's going to make everything known. He's going to make everything known. So if you're being persecuted falsely or if you're being uh, accused falsely or something like that, and such things do happen, they happen a lot in other places in the world, not so much here in America, although it does happen. If you're being accused falsely, the truth will come out. The truth will come out. They'll rage. They'll absolutely rage. The internet will want to kill you. I'm waving this because I was on Twitter earlier today. They are crucifying. They are absolutely crucifying Roseanne Barr because she tweeted out something that wasn't too smart and it's blown up on her. It's backfired in the worst possible way. They canceled her show. I was reading about it. I wasn't watching it anyway, so no big deal to me, but big deal to her and the network and all of that. They shut it all down and she is being absolutely eviscerated all over the internet right now because of something that she said. Why? Because people are ruthless just murderous in their hearts, vicious and unforgiving, especially people on the ideological left. But there are quite a few on the ideological right that are almost as bad. So, so this goes both ways. See that? If I'm going to be political, I'll bash both sides. That way I'm balanced and fair, right? But he says, don't fear them. Don't fear them. And then he goes on to say, what I tell you in darkness, this is what Jesus said, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And then he says, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye from the rooftops. You want to know why I'm so loud, why I get so, uh, so I don't want to say vicious, but why I get so vocal about things? Because somebody's got to get loud with the truth. Because they're loud with their lies, aren't they? So why do we have to be the timid little lambs? Hoping that we'll be the last ones that get eaten by the crocodiles. You know what I mean? Or by the lions. Really, why? Oh, well, I know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild and all of that, but Jesus wasn't always gentle or meek or mild. Especially when he flipped over the tables in the temple and drove out the men that were making a profit of the, of, of the house of God. They were making a, profit, a, a for-profit venture out of it. He drove them out of the temple with a scourge that was a whip. In other words, he got violent. Now, I'm not saying that we need to get violent. The Bible talks about not being strikers or brawlers and things like that. So, I'm not saying that that's what we ought to do. But there's a time to raise your voice and say, Hey, 
that's not right. Or hey, I don't appreciate you putting the pressure on me to lie. I've had bosses that have tried to do that. Just do this. Just say this. Or tell them this. Or whatever. And I try to navigate around it as nicely and smoothly. I don't try to cause trouble. Okay, that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it, but if I'm backed into a corner, you know, given a direct order by somebody who's got authority over me to commit some kind of a sin, well, look out, man, because that, that, it's time to clear leather. And I don't mean pulling a gun. I mean, I'm pulling out the word. And I will absolutely reprove that kind of behavior. Say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I don't appreciate you trying to induce me to commit some kind of a sin. Well, they'll fire me. Then that's persecution, isn't it? And then, what did Jesus say? Blessed are ye. Let's go all the way back to chapter 5. I know we're in chapter 10 here, but let's go all the way back to chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, when all those, blessed are ye, blessed are ye, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And he gave all these, the Beatitudes, blessed are they, blessed are they. And then he says, blessed are ye. You remember that? It was months ago now, I know. Blessed are ye when men shall persecute you, etc. All the things that he had to say concerning that. Because that's just proof that you are of your Father in heaven. Your children of light, when they persecute you, that's fine. If they fire you, that's fine. If you've been fired for the sake of the gospel, God will open up another door for you. I guarantee you, you stand on what's right. You stand for what is right. And God will open doors. He takes care of his own. Can you say that from experience? Well, fortunately, I've never been fired for that sort of thing. But have stood my ground and have made it clear I'm not going to commit sin for a paycheck. I'm not going to commit sin just for a job. I won't do it. Because my, my attitude for years has been I was looking for a job when I found this one. I'll find another one. Let's move on. Fear them not, he says. Preach, it says, what you hear in the ear, that preach ye from the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, fear God. Fear God. And by fear, he doesn't mean be terrified of. By fear means prefer him, respect him, reverence him, obey him, honor him, all of those things. And if it has to come down to just plain raw fear, I'd rather fear God. I'd rather fear God than men. Because as we've already said, their power ends at the grave. And they can only do so much. And in a law-abiding society, in a civil society, it generally won't even go that far. Okay, Don't be afraid of them. So they go boo. Big deal. So they mock you and ridicule you. That's fine. There are sinners in the world that have stood up for their causes, that have endured that kind of that have endured that kind of persecution and harassment. How many years was Nelson Mandela in jail? 27 years in jail because he stood against apartheid in South Africa and all of that. Or however many years it was. He was in prison for a long, long time. And it wasn't necessarily for the cause of Christ. I don't know if he attached Christianity to it or if it was just, if it was just plain civil rights. But 
There are the point is there are people that don't have God in their lives and that have never known Christ that have endured horrible tortures for their convictions. Why should we, having God, having the gospel, having the truth, having been washed by the blood of the Lamb, justified and made into children of light, children of God, why should we be any weaker in our convictions? So that sort of thing convicts me, it really does. When I hear about somebody enduring something for a temporal cause, okay, that doesn't even have anything to do with heaven or hell or eternal life or forgiveness of sins or or, or, or any of those things. Although any real, any good, righteous cause bears some of that light. It really does. So things like freedom, whether it's freedom of speech or right to bear arms or just freedom in general or the Constitution or, or any of these things that we've embraced and, a, and have loved as a society. There's a measure of the light of God in all of that stuff. Because God never wanted us to be slaves to anything. In fact, the sole reason he sent Jesus to die, that we might be free. Anyway, he says, fear them not, fear them not. And then in the last two verses here, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Now, it sounds like he's changing subjects, but he's not. It's all in the same thought. In fact, let's just grab this. Let's grab a group of these scriptures so we keep our context. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye from the, upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What's this, these last two verses? What's the lesson there? You're worth more than a couple of sparrows. God knows everything that's going on in your life. God knows everything that you're facing, good or bad. How bad if it is bad? How good if it's good? He knows it all. He says the very hairs of your head are all numbered. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that God is not aware of. There is nothing that happens. There is not a slight that is uttered against you as a Christian. There's not an insult that's delivered against you because of what you believe that God does not hear and have an account of. Now, let me go back to, uh, if I may, let me go back over to our, uh, our accountant metaphor that we were talking about on Sunday morning. I was kind of using that. God is the master accountant. Now follow along. I'm going somewhere with that. God knows who's done what and how much of it. God knows if it's good. God knows if it's bad. Now don't misunderstand me here. I'm not about to try to insinuate that salvation is you know, according to your account of good works versus bad works because it's not. We know that. The Bible destroys that false doctrine. Okay, But God still rewards people according to their good, according to their evil. Ultimately, in the final judgment of things, okay, there are severity to degrees of damnation. Jesus says as much when he was talking about the Pharisees, okay? And there's also uh, differing degrees of reward for the righteous who enter into the kingdom. We've talked about that before too. It, it's, not all, it, it's not so binary that there's not degrees to it. Now, salvation, that's absolute. Damnation, that's absolute, okay? 
The point is, God knows and God keeps an account. And so when you're persecuted and when people do you wrong, God is aware of it. He may not rush on the scene or send ten legions of angels to deliver you, okay? Because he didn't do that for the apostles. Some he did, would seem, some not so much. Sometimes it's God's will for us to just bleed. And we don't necessarily pray for that. But we trust God, because it always comes back around to that too, doesn't it? We either trust Him or we don't. Peter trusted God so much that when he found out how he was going to die, they were going to crucify him uh, according to the popular historical record, because it's not mentioned in Scripture, okay? According to the popular historical account of Peter the Apostle's death, when he found out that they were going to crucify him for his faith, he, in his profound humility, said, I am not worthy to be crucified, to be killed the same way that our Lord was. Crucify me upside down. And so, according to, again, according to the historical accounts, that's exactly what they did. He didn't run from it. And, he did, and we have no, uh, no record of him bewailing his fate. Now, I'm not saying that that's coming our way, okay? So, this, it's extreme, okay? But there are things that do come our way. Don't run from it. Well, flee if you can. If you can't, just pray for the grace to handle it. Pray for the grace to handle it. Jesus did say earlier in this chapter, if they persecute you in this city, run to another one. There's nothing wrong with fleeing from persecution, okay? But if you're unable to, they got you locked down, they got you pinned down or whatever the case may be, and you're unable to flee for your life because it's, well, isn't fleeing a cowardly thing? Well, not necessarily. We talked about this last week. Do the cost analysis. A living witness is better than a dead martyr, right? Because if you're still alive, you can still tell somebody about Jesus. But if you're dead, you've made the ultimate statement and you can say no more. And that's, that has a worth all its own. So I'm not downing either one of these. I'm not downplaying either one or saying that one is better or worse than the other. Jesus says flee if you can. If you can't, just pray for the grace that, to handle it. Because you can. You can handle whatever's come your way for the sake of the faith. You can. That's a promise from the Word. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. He will not suffer you to be tempted or tried or tested above what you are able to bear. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. If you had to sum all of that up into maybe one line, you could say, God's in control. Do not be afraid. Because then think of this, okay? So some hot persecution comes your way. I mean some severe stuff. And then you give in. You cave into it. And you say, all right, yeah, well, you're right. Yeah, whatever. Well, what happens then? So the devil never shows you that. All he ever tries to get you to focus on is the immediate pain or discomfort or awkwardness or humiliation or whatever might be involved in the persecution. He'll get you to focus on that. He'll fill your world with that, the world of your senses with that. He'll never show you what happens if you actually give in. 
Because you think, oh, well, the persecution will stop. <laughs> Maybe. But then what? Nobody respects you because they know you caved. And people just don't respect people who cave because they know it isn't sincere. They know the motive behind it. And then what? Well, it's like this. Remember, I read in a book or heard it in a story somewhere. You know, when you've had your ultimate opportunity, but you let it pass you by, everything after that becomes eerily easy. You know what I mean by that? If you don't, I'll try to use another example. Navy SEALs. We've all heard of them, haven't we? Okay, just checking. We've all heard of them. Well, we know that they're, and not just the SEALs, but lots of other uh, special forces type uh, departments within the armed forces. Well, Navy SEALs, they're kind of the most famous ones right now for a long time as the Green Beret and whatever. Well, they all have notoriously hard training programs. And in those training programs, those instructors are trying their hardest to break you and drive you out of that program. And there's a reason for that. They're because they only want the toughest, the hardest, the meanest, the baddest, the best. The best of the best of the best. That's what they want and for good reason. And that's fine. But the Navy SEALs, they'll do this thing where they have a bell. I don't know where they put it on the beach. They put it, whatever it is that they're doing, whatever sort of agony that they're putting their troops through at that moment. And they have this bell out there on a stand. And if at any point, you know, the, the recruit or the trainee has had enough and they've decided this ain't for me, I'm throwing in the towel. All they have to do is stop, get up and go ring that bell. Bing, 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 bing. And, and they're out. But what happens after they ring that bell? When they've given up, when they've quit, when they've thrown in the towel, when they've said, I can't do it, I can't make it, and they ring out and they walk away, they live the rest of their lives a lot of times thinking, what if I'd have just stuck with it? What if I'd have just toughed it out? It wasn't going to go on forever. It had an end. I just had to make it to the end. And so everything for the rest of their life is in the shadow of that bell. It's all in the shadow of that bell. Now, it's not a perfect metaphor. But it's pretty close, I think. If in the heat of persecution you ring out, and it's not saying that you can't make it back to God and that you can't make it right. I'm pretty sure you can. Okay, a broken and a contrite spirit, Jesus, or the Bible says, God will not despise. He will not turn it away. Our lesson from the beginning of our, the beginning of our Bible study is that Jesus never has turned people away. Okay? But if you ring out under persecution, that will haunt you. It will absolutely haunt you. So when the trial comes, be assured you can handle it because God promised you that you could. And the reward, the reward, I would dare to say is far greater than we can imagine. We have no idea what God has in store for us who resist and who endure and who stand on the right, who stand up for what's right, 
and who will not be moved by all the howling screams and accusations and threats of Babylon and of hell itself. Don't fear them. Don't fear them. They can only do so much and no more. And God, God will provide, God will support, God will recover, God will reward. He says in verse 31, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving.